we have this concept of subject matter expertise in our industry and subject matter experts keep knowledge they hoard it and we really need to shift to what he called subject matter ownership and owners share knowledge All right, everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision with Clearview. Today I'm speaking with Jamie Rabenberg. She's the Director of Product at Edify. How are you doing today, Jamie? Great, great. It's good to talk to you and your audience today, Brett. Yeah, you too. So tell me about Edify. What are you guys doing over there and what's exciting for you today? Yeah, um, so Edify is an 18-month-old startup and we build knowledge engagement programs for engineering teams. So we have a software onboarding application, a chatbot named Eddie that we've been building over the last 18 months that helps engineering teams onboard their new hires and and get um, their new hires up to speed quickly. what we have done over the last 18 months is, is spend some time talking to um, engineering leaders and really starting to understand the problem of knowledge engagement and the challenges of knowledge engagement that engineering teams have. Um, and we decided to start with onboarding, um, where a new hire is just coming in or a new person's coming onto a new team, and they need to get up to speed and get moving very quickly so they don't cause drag on the rest of the team. Um, We also wanted to make sure that teams are able to um, do things like decrease churn and and other um, sorts of expensive problems that have been endemic in the engineering in engineering teams for a long time. So um, we took this approach of not taking humanness out of it, but actually creating a bot that would help engineers connect to their knowledge and to their teammates. Um, So Eddie actually drip feeds a 30-day onboarding plan to new hires that introduces them to different types of knowledge, gives them tasks every day to keep them on track, um, and helps engage uh, the rest of the team in supporting that knowledge. Hmm, yeah, that's really interesting because on- onboarding can be a really nebulous concept to begin with. I mean, there there might be some things that are standard across all of the engineers. Some of them may just be jumping into some portion of a project where like, their onboarding is actually part of their job. Like, come over here and fix this. Right. So they're, I'm curious, how, how are you productizing this? How are you making this into something that can be useful to a lot of different companies with a lot of different engineers and different roles at the same company? How do you make this tailored to each like on- onboarding experience? It's such a great question. Um, and it's really at the heart of the product that we created. So um, my colleague Kristen uh, came to me a couple of years ago. She'd been working in um, consulting uh, around learning and development challenges with engineering teams. And, um, and she said, I've been working on this problem for a while, and I think we can turn this into a product. So the two of us sat down and we started to dig into what were the repeatable parts, what were the best practices in onboarding, and what were the kind of common challenges that we saw across different engineering organizations um, that we might be able to solve with a tool. 
And so we took uh, adult learning best practices and um, best practices around how engineers onboard and how they need to um, get up to speed with a team. And we turned those into customizable touch points. So when a manager or a, a leader within comes on board with Edify, their first stop is to customize their onboarding plan. Um, and they can work with their team to do this. So they can assign different parts of the onboarding plan to different knowledge owners within their team and actually populate the custom parts out. So we know every team has, for instance, a development environment. And we give you some custom prompts for actually putting the instructions for, or the links back to your knowledge repo into that development environment prompt that will then be played back to the new hire. And so it goes with things like, what is your bug process? What is the product you're working on? What is um, your CICD or your deployment pipeline look like? What's your backend infrastructure, your front-end infrastructure? Um, so these prompts actually help a team to prioritize knowledge creation if they don't already have it, um, and also give them a path to guide that new hire to productivity in those first 30 days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it almost seems like part of the sort of the maybe unexpected or un, unpaid for, I guess, maybe value is sort of a writing exercise for people who are already at the company and for managers to think about what it actually is that onboarding means and then giving them templates from from all of your experience with all of these different companies. And then also they could have templates, I guess, from within their company, different managers at a similar level might have already done this work and they can just tweak it. And then this puts them into a feedback loop with their knowledge base that they are drip feeding to new hires, which helps them also have a better idea of what is actually going on. Yeah. As well as the onboarding. Absolutely. And and it it really is the automation of that onboarding delivery. And like you said, I actually think one of the most surprising things for us as we've been building that product is how many um how many managers come back to us and say you know, there's a little bit of friction at the beginning of your product because I have to go build that onboarding plan. And and our response is, is it good friction or, or bad friction? And, and right. overwhelmingly, the response is, this is very good friction. I've never had a guide to building this before. Um, and so what we're finding is that just through the process of populating these onboarding plans, uh, engineering teams are already getting an, a better onboarding experience because it's helping them to prioritize updating and creating knowledge in their knowledge repositories. Mm -hmm. And I, I also imagine it helps for transfers within the company as well, or somebody else jumping into your project. They could just look at all of your onboarding materials to figure out what the, you know, what what is specific to you know, your region of the tech space in the company and people could go in and cross help each other across departments or across projects. Yep. You, again, you, you really get this product, Brett, and it's so much fun to talk to you about it. Um, you know, we built Eddie or with a buddy mechanism built in. And I talked at the beginning about how we didn't want to take the human elements out of onboarding. And so what Eddie is really there to do is to facilitate that engagement, whether it's engagement with a knowledge repo or different knowledge owners within the team, 
recently one of my customers um, said to me, we have this concept of subject matter expertise in um, in our industry and subject matter experts keep knowledge. They hoard it. And we really need to shift mm. to what he called subject matter ownership and owners share knowledge. And, um, and it's such an important concept. Um, we just sort of adopted it wholesale after our customers said this to us to talk about subject matter owners and how we use Eddie yeah. to prompt those owners to share knowledge with the rest of the team to keep documentation updated and and to really be making sure that as owners they they are responsible for the company itself knowing these things. Yeah, it almost seems like subject matter steward would be a good word too. Yeah, stewards like a owner great almost word. implies that it's kind of like sort of kept tight, but like steward is like I'm I'm the person who just happened to be in this role where all of this confluence of information has been flowing through. Mm -hmm. So now I've got it, but I'm holding it for everybody. And I don't want to be the only one doing that, but it just happens to be that this is where I am in, in the system. And so I have this information, but it's, you know, yeah, anyone's for the taking. Come ask me. <laughs> yeah, come ask me. And, and hey, and then Eddie actually comes back. You know, one of the cool things is, and this is something that we're just in kind of the early stages of building out right now, um, is Eddie's ability to prompt documentation updates. Um, and so when there's this, when Eddie knows that he's had to connect a um, subject matter owner and a new hire or another team member to get that knowledge transfer, Eddie's also going to come back and say, hey, let's now update the docs um, and and mm. actually create some mechanisms for the whole team um, to keep track of that documentation update um, so that they can plan for it and also to celebrate documentation updates so that when a doc is updated, it's not just updated between the subject matter owner and the new hire, but actually the whole team gets visibility in, into the fact that that update has occurred. And maybe there's new knowledge that other team members didn't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it also seems like you'd have a tighter feedback loop in the information too, because if somebody's coming through the onboarding process and they're just looking at a document, a Google Doc someone made a while back, and they get to it to some point and it's like not accurate, they're eventually just like, screw this doc. I'm going to ask somebody. They're going to tell me, and it's never going to update the document anyway because that thing's defunct. But if it's broken down into each of these little knowledge-based steps that are being trickle-fed, then the particular one that came to you that was incorrect, you could flag it, and then that has to be updated because it's actually part of a process that's being used. Right. So it really promotes that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, creating just some accountability measures in here. You know, we're get, we are building out integrations with tools like Confluence and GitHub. So, you know, we're we've become very used to a um, a verification culture and and I think this is something that um, is really helpful, like some sort of accountability verification measure where we can't just dismiss the fact that a document is out of date and that because it was out of date for me, it'll never be used again. Um, but instead, we have to take responsibility for actually updating that so that it's it's actually up to date for the next person that comes along. And it makes that next person's transition and that next person's cycle on that issue that much faster. 
it, it really does lift the whole team and the whole organization in the process of keeping these these documentation hubs up to date. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been with Edify for the whole 18 months? Did you start with them? Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, I'm employee number one um, right after our oh, founder. Wow, okay. um, so I, um, Kristen and I have known each other for a number of years and had the privilege to work on a few different projects. And um, we actually took sabbaticals um, about the same time. And um, I ended up joining her for a week in Cambodia. And um, on my last day oh, nice. there, she, she hit me up and said, hey, I, I think you might like to come work with me on this project. <laughs> um, and uh, we we ideated on it for a few months. And um, in January of 2020, uh, really kind of made the decision to to run with it and see if we could we could make this happen. Um, and we started little did you know, you'd have a whole year of nothing else to do. <laughs> right, right. Um, and you know, what's interesting about that? Because um, I know, um, I know that you're a big fan of remote work and, and have had a remote work lifestyle for a number of years, Brett, is we went into 2020 into talking about this product, not as an enablement necessarily for remote work, but as something that any team could use. Um, but also, both of us were really passionate about what this did to enable remote work. And um, mm-hmm. and then suddenly everybody needed a solution for remote work, and we were right there ready for it. Um, so Yeah, beautiful. So we started off, you know, with this approach of we've got to design very tightly, we've got to scope very tightly, and we've got to get something in customers' hands right away. So in February, right before the pandemic, we actually did a design sprint. We reached into our network. We said, who are the engineering leaders? Who are the ICs? Who are the junior engineers we know? And we all we brought them into the room um, for a week to do interviews and ideate with us. And um, by the end of that week, we had our first prototype for Eddie. Um, and over the course of the next few months, we actually really, really tightly scoped and refined what we were going to build. And what was really important about the timing of that for us is not only, as you mentioned, were we in the middle of the beginning of a pandemic when kind of nobody knew what was happening, but we didn't, you know, a, a lot of companies put their hiring plans on hold for a few months. So we got kind of this mm-hmm. breath where where we could sit back and really just talk to the people who would be those upcoming hiring managers. And by summer, when hiring was starting to pick up again, we were ready to give them a product. So we built Eddie in four months. Um, we got an amazing team of engineers who helped us get it up and running. And it, it our beta solution was a duct tape solution, but it allowed us to put a product in front of cus- real customers and say what works and what doesn't. Um, and really, mm-hmm. really iterate and refine on that process. Um, so we've been able to be very ambitious and move very quickly. Yeah, the pandemic had something to do with that. The timing couldn't have been better for us. But I think right. it owes a lot more to how um, ruthlessly Kristen and I treated the product and said, nope, we're only building the things that we can test, the things that that we're sure. Um, I think you, you called it magnetic specificity, um, I think, in an article not that long ago. Um, mm. And, and I, I loved that. What's, what's going to bring people in? 
to um, to your product and and give them that nugget that they actually want to try it out. Um, and yeah. that was so important to us. So I really related to to that description. Yeah, thank you. Tell me tell me more about how you how you approach that ruthlessness to bring in just the features that are going to be super helpful and super sticky and also not miss potential features that might be that but are still in sort of the brainstormy stage that might have just squeaked into a product and never been used. We prioritize talking to potential customers over just about everything else we were doing. Um, hmm. And we were not we were not afraid to put things that were really raw and draft like in front of them. And so we had some really rough prototypes. Um, they were literally PowerPoint slides um, coming out of that first design sprint, but we used them. We put them in front of customers and we said, hey, what do you think would this work? And then when we iterated, we went back and said, would this work? Um, and we tried a lot of different things. So uh, one of the things that we tried early on was actually um, collecting the information from the manager and team members to populate the onboarding plan via Eddy. Um, so in Slack via Eddy. And it was this popcorn Q&A that Eddy would engage in with the team. Um, I spent four weeks with embedded with a team. They all were introduced to me as a bot. Um, and I, we called them our human as bot tests. And I was actually the bot. And we tried this. And it didn't work. Um, it frankly just was garbage. Um, the information we got back from the team as a bot going out and asking these questions was not useful. And um, after that experience, we said, this isn't the right way to gather this information. And mm -hmm. um, thankfully, we hadn't built it yet. So we hadn't spent any. Yeah, how much money did you save there? <laughs> yeah. So time and maybe the company. Right. So we hadn't spent any engineering resources on it. And um, we'd been focused on building the, the drip delivery of the onboarding plan first. Um, and so, you know, we were maybe a little lucky, maybe a little insightful. I'm not sure. Maybe a bit of both. And, um, mm -hmm. and we said, okay, well, we got to fix this for beta launch. So we ended up actually using SurveyMonkey. Um, and when a beta customer would sign up, they got access to the Slack bot and they got access to a SurveyMonkey survey that they filled out. And then we mashed them together on the back end once the survey was complete. And, um, and it worked. It actually worked well enough that when we went back to managers and we said, what would you like this experience to be in the future? They didn't, they, not one of them said, I want this to be in Slack. Every single one of them said, I actually want this to be a web UI. And so what we spent the first part of this year building was a web UI. Um, so we now have our own survey tool and it allows us to have that information directly integrated with the bot. So it's updated in real time as opposed to needing an engineer to smash it together on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. The way, the way that you went about this just uh, reminds me of a concept that I learned from a business coach of mine called connection over perfection, where so many people try to build the perfect thing in their head or plan everything and then release it. If you build it, they will come style. And what you're talking about is just being in connection with users. And even if you don't have a product, spoofing the product like Mechanical Turk style and seeing if it actually works before you build it. 
um for listeners we could link to the show notes the uh episode on my other podcast life in view called connection over perfection um you can find that in the show notes but yeah that, that what you described just perfectly outlines that concept of staying in connection with who would actually be using your product and trying it out trying the trying the model out to see what actually fits before engineering it yeah and going down a wrong path yeah absolutely um i uh, i follow another uh product professional named annie dunham she's over at a company called product plan and um she's i think really insightful around this um and recently i was i was reading she has a new book out called impact and i was reading just the introduction to her book and she reflected on the fact that as product managers we should expect to be wrong more than half of the time um, and that's fully been our approach is that um, we're going to build the or we're going to design the wrong thing, um, but we're going to design it quickly and we're going to put it in front of people so that they can help us get to the right thing. Um, and I've been talking about it with my team as not failing fast, but actually finding places where we haven't quite maximized our opportunity and and that we need to go mm-hmm. in and actually like figure out how we retool that feature or that little piece of the application to maximize our opportunity to meet the challenge that our customers are facing and provide value. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it failing fast as as much as rapidly iterating before you've made anything concrete. Right. So that you're building the right thing. Yeah. Which is which is the opposite of failing, right? Really. Exactly. I I absolutely agree with you. I think designs should should fail if we want to use that term at all. But like, because that's how you iterate and how you build. Right. So so tell me something something that you've learned about yourself throughout this past eighteen months with with Edify or even previously in business that that you learned about yourself through business or elsewhere that really impacted the business and how you approach it, or even vice versa, something that really happened in the business that really impacted you as a human and that you carry with you today? Yeah. I think one of the things that um, I'm, I'm a pretty empathetic person, um, and um, so I've, I've always really valued the human connections, but I think one of the things that happens um, as a at least as a product person, is we get taught to value the business. Um, And in fact, there's this whole language around talking about staff as resources, talking about people you work with as part of the resources um, that permeates Mm -hmm. product management, um, writing, and and culture. And, And I think one of the things that I have come to enjoy and and find maybe a little surprising that I enjoy is the process of building a team um, and and really discovering that um, how how we build and grow our team has just as much impact on the success of our business as how mm-hmm. you know we implement process or um, you know how we choose to iterate or how we you know do these other other mechanisms, how we set up our finances, how we set up our customer support. Um, Because when you really have the right mix of, you know, potential skills and experience and enthusiasm, like that is actually going to carry things at this stage of a business 
far more than than some of the the discipline um you know those processes and operations um that we talk so much about and and i think that's been a really delightful discovery for me over the course of the last 18 months um and i i really feel like i'm i'm leaning into hiring and building this team um and that's exciting to me um i think the other thing that i would say and it it's very closely aligned to it is um one of the things I love about product management is kind of taking all of these pieces and putting them together into a puzzle that reveals to me what our priorities should be. Um, and it's something that I can see and like craft a vision around. And it's very different to prioritize in a startup. And there's a lot more gut and a lot more storytelling um, involved at this stage. and. I had to really kind of get to a place where I could let go of some of the traditional tools that I had used for, um, you know, deciding the value of a particular item in order to Mm -hmm. actually get to a place where I was just saying, no, actually, this is what we're building next. And I know the story as to why. Um, And that's. That was, um, you know, it's a discovery that I don't feel like I've quite figured out how to quantify or even write about yet. Um, so, you know, wait for it. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, um, that's a really kind of been a really interesting place of growth for me. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, that sounds a little bit like my journey. I started being an engineer and I loved the way things pieced together and fit together. And now there's actually a lot of those same concepts fit to a team. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can put a bunch of processes on a team, which are all going to basically inhibit the ways that they don't quite fit until they fit together. Or you can just arrange a team so that they naturally flow well together and then you need very few processes. And then a lot more of the intuition and creativity can flow at a higher bandwidth among them. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll also just say, you know, it's something we're thinking about in our product. It's like, how do we actually give managers insight into where the strengths are within their team? You know, once you have that knowledge map, can you actually use that to inform how you grow different individuals in your team or how you backfill positions, um, how you identify gaps? Um, so I, I think it's so interesting and it's so interesting to think about it in a really small team where you can, where I think it's much easier to see all of the different dynamics at play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you. And I wish you all the best with Edify. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you and your audience again in the future. Yeah. I'd love it. Take care. Take care.